0: 2018, June, I took my wife, Michelle, and our three kids to England. It was Michelle's dream to go to England. It was not my dream. I was not excited about it at all, but I went, wife, as a man, I need to lay down my life for my wife. So, all right, Michelle, we're going to go. So We went to England. We flew into Gatwick Airport. Um, that was the first time our kids went on a plane, by the way. So, If you're going to do it, do it once and do it well. 22 hours, first, first flight. Awesome. Good start. And I'll find on the plane, Leonard Gatwick went to London and we walked around there for nine days. We got a car, drove up to Liverpool and up to Scotland where we spent a week and then came back down, gone for four and a half weeks. Here's some photos. There's one of the many castles that we were at. There's another castle. Does anyone know which one that one is? No, I don't know which one it is. One of them. There's um, another castle and the M&M world and the Lego world. That was fun. That's out of the St. Paul's Cathedral at the top. We took a picture at the top of that, I think. That's what it is. Another castle, lots of castles. This place was awesome. The Natural History Museum in London. Who's been to that? Go to that. That blew my mind. Blew my mind. Went to this place. That's called, uh, what's that called? Who knows what that's called? Anyone? It's in Scotland. They, they, they moved boats from one waterway to another waterway. That's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. And then we went to all these places, but we also spent lots of time in this place. Anyone know what that place is? The hotel. Not the hotel. Look closely at the food. <laughs> McDonald's. We spent lots and lots and lots of time at McDonald's. What I would do on our day trips is I would make cheese and tomato sandwiches, as you do, trying to save money, in, in, the, in the little place we were staying, cheese and tomato sandwiches. And then we'd go out for the day and we'd get hungry and we're like, okay. where's the where's local Macca's? And, we, and we'd spend four pound, about 10 bucks, on the 20 packets of nuggets, We'd sit in McDonald's, open our sandwiches up, put the nuggets on the cheese and tomato sandwiches, and we'd eat nuggets with cheese and tomato sandwiches. Wow, nice. Awesome. Yeah. For lunch. Cheap. Yeah. Smart. Kids loved it. Kids loved it. And then on the days where we weren't walking around London, where we were driving in the car, we drove like three thousand kilometres, we would often drive to McDonald's and and I'd buy one pound cheeseburgers. One pound, two pounds, five pounds, everyone's fed for lunch. What a win. <laughs> What a win. And the reason we went to Macca's is because I knew what I was going to get. When you go to McDonald's, you know what you're going to get. Because McDonald's has a culture. Now, here's a a definition of culture. Culture, here it is. The ideas, customs, and social behavior of a particular group of people or society. I'll read it again. It's important. Culture. Happy birthday, Zach, 18 this week. Very good. Nice to see you there. Culture. Culture. Congratulations, Greg and Donna too. That's pretty. That's a milestone, isn't it? It's awesome. Culture is the ideas, the customs, and social behaviour of a particular people or society. It's how the place works. It's how people to how people relate to each other. If I ask this question, what is the culture of Maccas? What would you say? Turn to the person next to you? What is, what is the McDonald's culture? What is their behavior? What goes on in McDonald's? How do people relate? Turn to the person next to you. What's the McDonald's culture? Alrighty, what do you got? If you like your answers, Macca's culture, you like the answers, go. Ross. Toilets for sales reps. Toilets for sales reps. You know the toilets are going to be good. They're usually clean. Anyone can walk in there. Toilets. Culture of toilets. We like that. Always taught. Someone else, culture. Get in, get fed, get out. Get in, get fed, get out. So it's quick, Sam. It's young, it's youthful. And I would say it's family. That you know that your family is going to be safe. Their kids are welcome. Hand up here, someone. Yeah, sugar and fat. Sugar and fat. A culture of sugar and fat. <laughs> Caleb. Ice yeah. The ice cream machine's broken. The ice cream yeah, machine's broken. At the culture. All right. Any, one more person. Anyone else? These are the three that I came up with. That it's a, that it's family friendly. That the people are going to be nice to you. That it's a place where it's safe that where you can take your kids. That's the first one I got. The second one, it's clean. You know when you go, it's going to be clean. And the third thing is that it's uniformity. That wherever you go, it's the same menu, same prices. You know what you're going to get. It's regular, the same, same sort of service. It's McDonald's. It has a culture and it works. There's, it's a massive, massive franchise across the world. It works. And the reality is it's not just, not just McDonald's that has a culture. Is every organization has a culture. Schools have a culture. Businesses have a culture. Churches. Have a culture. Sporting groups, your life group, your 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 family has a culture. The normal behaviors, actions of a group of people, you have a culture. And friends, our church has a culture. If I asked you what is it how would you describe LifeGate culture? I wonder how you describe you describe it. And we're gonna do that in a few moments, but but I wanna say a few things, a few more things before I say that. Businesses, organizations, and even us as a church talk about mission, vision, values, these things, and it's important that we know these here's a reminder Our mission is why we exist let's talk about Lifegate Church. Why does Lifegate Church exist? Well we believe Jesus came to bring freedom and purpose to every area of our lives, spiritual, emotional, and physical. We desire to see this freedom and purpose in our own lives and to offer this freedom and purpose to the communities around us. We've experienced freedom and purpose, we want to share it. That's what we're about. That's why we exist. We have a vision statement, which is about our future. What are we hoping to see? And we know this sentence. We're hoping to see people live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus has for their lives. That is our future, but it's not just that sentence, there's more to that. We're talking about seven campuses by 2038. We have a, we, our vision is to develop leaders through our school leadership to be leading these campuses and be leaders within these campuses. We have a vision to invest in the generations that follow us. That's the future. We have a set of values, which is our desired action, what we want people to do. We want people to get real, and we want people to take action, because if we, think, we think if people do that, people will get free and fulfill the purpose they have for their lives. But then we get to culture. Our culture, our ideas, our customs, and our social behavior. I wonder what that is for us as a church. What is our ideas, customs, and social behavior? See... All those things that I just said, mission, vision, values are nice things. And they're the things we're hoping for, but, they're not, but they might not actually be the reality. See, the reality is culture. Reality is what happens every day. Let me reinforce this three ways, quoting my, uh, my, my uh, mate John Maxwell. John Maxwell says this, vision is about one day where culture happens every day. So vision is your future. This is where you're going. This is what you want in the future. But culture is what happens day to day. It's how people act, live today. Second thing, vision is described where culture is modelled. When we talk about what we want, seven campuses in 20 years, we haven't experienced that, so we describe it, what it's going to look like. We talk about going the other side of the Jordan, setting up leaders over different, um, different areas where Sydney's going. We describe it where culture, we live it out. It's model. You can see it today. Third thing is vision aligns with values, meaning that we want to see people live in freedom and purpose, that we have values of get, real, take action, because those values help us achieve the vision, where culture should, underlined, demonstrate them. So if we want to see people live in freedom and purpose, that's our vision down the track. That's where we want people to live. If our our, our day-to-day behavior needs to look like getting real and taking action. Because if it's not that, people aren't going to get real. They're not going to fulfill their purpose. Because sometimes there can be a huge disconnect between where the organization wants to go, who the organization wants to be, and the actual reality. This is true in your workplace. This is true in your schools. This is true in church. There can be a huge disconnect between where you want to go and who you want to be and actually, who you are and, and your reality of now. I started teaching in 2000. I, started, I did a double degree in music education at the University of New South Wales. And I came out of that and I went to my first school, first day dressed up in a tie and long pants and long sleeve shirt. It looked, it looked really nice um, for a first day. And we had a meeting with the principal and we sat with her and she talked about lots of things. This is my first school as a teacher. I'm 22 years of age. And, and she cast a vision. She said, I want excellence of education. I want educational excellence. Okay? That's what we're going towards. I, I think I can do that. I've been trained to do that. Let's go do that. And then I walked into the, into the staff room. And let me say there was a massive disconnect between the vision of what the principal wanted and the actual culture or the reality of the school. The principal wanted educational excellence the teachers wanted survival. Kids didn't care. Parents didn't care. So the teachers were like, well, why should we care? And so rather than talking about excellence in the staff room and how we can increase kids' potential and teach them and stuff, the conversations were about the football, girlfriends, parties, because I was 22, the teachers were older than me, 28, 30, um, 26. Parties, what they can do to have just to do the bare minimum to get through. There was a big difference, big disconnect between what the principal wanted around where they wanted to go and the actual reality that was happening within the teachers at the school. And so I've presented our mission, our vision, our values. Here's a question for us. How would you describe LifeGate's culture? What are our ideas, customs and social behaviours? What is actually happening on the ground? What's actually happening? Turn to the person next to you. This is where we're going to get real. Let's get real, church. Turn to the person next to you. What's actually happening on the ground? What is our culture? What how do we behave? Talk to the person next to you. Go. Mm-hmm. Are we ready? Are we ready? Are we ready? Are we ready? How would you describe our culture? Now, we, we've got, um, I'm going to, we don't normally do this, but I reckon the, uh, the people in the back, you guys in the back row are brand new to church, to our LifeGate Church today. I'd be really interested to ask them, not that I'm going to do that because that's like, unless they want to share, what have they experienced today? You don't have to answer it. But I'd be really interested they'd been with us for an hour. What's their experience been? Would you guys be willing to share that? You can say no, by the way. No pressure. No pressure. You can say no. Move on. It's, it's been very friendly. Friendly. Um, it's been inclusive. And it's been full. So far, it's been full of life, So it's good. Do we like that? Yeah. I, like that. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Thank you for sharing that. Now, for someone who hasn't been here for an hour, is that true? That is true. It is true. Thank you, Scott. I think it's true. I hope it's true. What else have you experienced? Martin? Multi generational. Multi generational. Great. What else? Yes. think that you can the presence of God, it's involved. Great. So, Carl's been around about two months. You've been around church, and that's his experience. Someone else? Sam. Down to earth. Um, when when people come to our church who are new and after the service I chat with them and say, So what was your experience? And nine times out of ten they say you guys are real. So down to earth real. What else? Laid back. Laid back? Yes, Dave. It's not perfect. Great. we to go ahead. It's trying to, You're trying to do things great. We're trying to find answers where there's imperfections. It's good. Yeah, we're definitely not perfect. Someone else? Family. Family orientated. Yeah, we have a big focus on kids. We invest in our kids. Anyone else? Yes, Rebecca. The teaching is Bible-based, easy to understand, no fluff. We haven't done any Bible yet. We're going to get there in a sec. (laughs) At the back, Nikki? Um, I very much enjoy that the musical um, input isn't just for the ones on stage, but it's for the younger generations and they're actively brought up and maybe not have an expectation that they desire to be involved in music. Mm. Yeah, and I'd say that's bigger than music. I think that we have an opportunity culture. We, we deliberately invest and encourage others. This is what I came up with. The interest. what I come up with. This is what I think. I think we're a church that gets real. Honestly, I think we are. I think a church, we're deliberate to change. We're deliberate to take action. We have a leadership culture. We deliberately develop leaders. We empower others. what Nikki said. We give people opportunity to grow. We celebrate people. Like, well, Fiona led. You hear Fiona? Where's Fiona? Fiona? Where's Fiona? disappeared. Her worship leading this morning was incredibly, she'd never done anything. Fiona, that was the best you've ever worshipped. You've led us so beautifully this morning. So beautifully. Yeah, these musos that do their job, and have a coffee and come back at the end. I no, no, yeah, yeah. No, you kidding. Thank you, Fiona. I, you're done there. You can go back out to whatever you're doing. And we, we have a, I think we have a culture of worship. A culture of worship, not just in song, but a desire to honor God. I reckon we're missing something. And no one said it. And I'm glad no one said it. Yes, Frank? Um, the one thing that I get is there's no set rule. No set rule? This is the way, is the way you have to follow God. It's like everyone has their own own beliefs and, and the way they want to pray and so forth. So, yep. it's welcoming. No discrimination. No discrimination, we're welcoming. People can pray whoever they like. We're not like heap structured. I love that. We want people to be free, yeah? It's about freedom. Perfect. Thank you. Something that we haven't said. And I think I would love us to make this a part of our culture. Now, to try and to make something part of your culture is actually a really difficult thing because I think this stuff on the, on, on the uh, screen and what Frank said and what other people said is that's what we normally do. So that's who we are. That's how we, so to change that is, is a big deal. But what I would like us to do is to add something to our culture. And I want us to add this idea of invite. I would love us to be a church where we deliberately invite people to what we're doing as a church, where we deliberately invite people into our homes for coffee, for meals, for dinner, to life group, to Easter extravaganza, to our Christmas carols, to our Sunday services, to our Easter services, I would love invite to be something that is part of our DNA. Now, there's a few people who invite really well. Rachel Owen, she's a great inviter. Um, Con Michael, great inviter. Who else did I write down? Um, my mum, Wendy Green, I think, is a great inviter. And my son, Aidan Green, he's inviting kids to hype, like when I say hype youth on Friday nights. My car's full every week, picking up kids, more kids. It's just beautiful. And there's, I think there's a few champions to invite, and if, didn't, if I didn't mention your name, I'm sorry because I didn't think of you, <laughs> but, but uh, what, get real? None of you are doing it well. No, no um, that's real, no. Um, what if we had this culture of invite? So when we did the announcement, Easter services, when you heard that, do you think Easter services are at nine o'clock on Friday and Sunday, good, I know when to go? Or do you think, Easter service is 9 o'clock on Friday and Sunday, that's good, now I'm going to invite this person and this person and this person to come to experience the message of Jesus. Do you think think that way? Thank you, Scotty. Because if we do, that then means that we have a culture of invite. The natural thing for us to do is we have an event, Easter extravaganza in the park, I'm going to volunteer, but I'm also going to invite my neighbors, my friends. That's what I, that is what that is a culture of invite. And the reality is, you know what? God is a God. Here's the Bible bit, Rebecca. God is a God of invite. God is a God who invites people into relationship with him. God is a God who invites people to be listening to his voice, to walk the journey of life, to be invited into his purpose for their lives and his world. And God is a God who invites people to a great banquet. In Luke chapter 14. That's where we're going to turn today. If you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, um, it starts, and this is important to start, the context is really important to what we're going to look at today. Is that Jesus has gone, in verse 1, it says, Jesus has gone to a house of a prominent Pharisee. Not just a normal Pharisee, a prominent Pharisee, and he's gone for a meal. At the meal, there is a person who's not well, the person has abnormal swelling. Jesus prays for him, happens to be the Sabbath, puts everybody off, the person gets healed. The next thing Jesus says, he notices that people are sitting in the most important places around the table. And then he uses that to talk about, don't exalt yourself. I think I'm a bit loud, Rico. Okay? Can you pull me down a spinch? Rather, humble yourself. And then he says, when you, the third thing he does is he teaches that when you have a banquet, don't just invite people who are going to invite you back. Don't just invite your family, friends. Invite those on the edge who may not invite you back. The people who are poor, the lame, your neighbors, your unsafe friends. Invite them into your house, for then you'll have a great reward in heaven. And then one of the people pipe up at the party, and he says, This. When one of those at the table, Luke 14, verse 15, when one of those at the table with him heard this, heard, don't just invite your friends, invite those who aren't going to invite those who aren't going to invite you back. He says, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Come to the party, for everything everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still more room. Then the master told his servants, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in, compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. In this passage, we have a man, obviously a wealthy guy, who has a house and he's putting on a a great banquet. Not just a banquet, a great banquet. Not just a street barbecue, a great banquet. Taking weeks and months of preparation. There was no Uber Eats and no walk down to Woolworths and fill your trolley up. Preparation. And he invited all these people. He invited people that he knew to this banquet. He sends out the servants with the invitation and says, hey, not the invitation, they knew about it. The banquet's ready. Come and eat it. We've killed the fattened calves, most probably a number of calves. We got all the food. The party's ready. Come now. And the servants come back and say, those people that you invited have made excuses and they don't want to come. And the excuses are really poor. The first excuse is the first said, verse 18, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Who buys a field without seeing it first? How many of you bought your house without seeing it first? Anyone? One person? And even if you did buy it without seeing it, well, is it not going to be there after the banquet? Like go to the banquet, then go check out your field. It's a poor excuse. The second one, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. How many people buy a car without test driving it? You test drive the car before you buy it. Same with the five yoke of oxen. You test it out, you see it tested out. They're going to plow your fields. You want to make sure it works before you buy it. And even if you didn't test, test drive your oxen, we'll go there, test, test drive your oxen be, um, before you bought it, well, they're still going to be there after the party. So go to the party, then go check out your oxen. And finally, I've just got married, so I can't come. What married couple doesn't want to celebrate and go and hang out with other people? They do. They want to be party time. And even if they... Couldn't come like party anyway. They're all poor excuses. They're all poor excuses. So the, so the owner, the, the, the guy who has the party says to his servants, go and get more people. Not just the ones I've invited. Go to the poor, the lane, the people in the streets, and they do and they come back to the party and there's still more room. So the, the, the owner of the banquet says, go out further and invite those in the country lanes and, and those way out there, invite them in because I want to have this party full. Now, when you read this parable, you can easily think to yourself, well, obviously, God's the guy who puts the banquet on. We're the servants. He sends us out with the message, inviting people into his banquet. And, and you can easily think, well, God invites lots of people. Some say yes and some say no. But there's actually something going on much more deeper in this parable. Remember the context? The context is that Jesus is sitting with religious leader, a Pharisee. He heals. He teaches them about exalting humble. And then he says... When you have a party, don't just, put on, don't just put the party on for those who can invite you back. Invite those that can't invite you back. And then straight after that, someone at the party says in verse 15, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, having heard what Jesus has just said. The commentators say, well, this guy who's sitting at the table is most probably feeling uncomfortable by Jesus saying, invite people who, who aren't going to come back. They're feeling uncomfortable. So he tries to make himself feel better And he says, well, blessed are those, the one, me, who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus tells this story, and it's actually aimed directly at the people at the table. He's aiming it at the religious leaders, the Pharisees sitting there, the religious leaders. And his point is this, that God has invited you, Pharisees, Jewish people, religious leaders, to his banquet and you've made excuses. Jesus, he, he, he can't be the one because he didn't do this and didn't do this, he didn't do this. And as a result, you're not going to make it to the banquet. And because these, the, the religious leaders said no, Jesus then goes out into the streets and he teaches the tax collectors and sinners and people who are struggling, the, the fishermen, the ordinary people, and They respond. And the third group of people are the Gentiles, people like you and me who haven't got a Jewish background. Jesus comes to us and says, come into my party. Come and join this great banquet that the Father has prepared for us. That's what the meaning of the parable is. The meaning of the parable is he's speaking to the Jews and saying, hey, I invited you, but you said no. Come up with all these poor excuses, you said no. So I've invited a whole heap of other people and they said yes to come to my party. That's the meaning of the parable. You know, God is the one who puts the banquet on. We, as his followers, are now the servants who are called to go out and invite people to his banquet. Some will say yes. Some will say no. But God is calling us to invite. And I reckon, and I reckon that if we were deliberate in Inviting people to the things of LifeGate Church, it's going to help us do the task of the servant, inviting people into the kingdom. Here's some some thoughts. The first one is this, four reasons to invite, number one. When I say invite, I'm talking about inviting them into your home, but inviting them to the stuff we do as a church. The first thing is this, when you invite, people will hear the message of Jesus. Every Sunday, we, we share the message of Jesus. We do it in life groups. We do it at Easter extravaganza. We do it at the Christmas carols, wherever we're at. We share the message of Jesus. And I know that many of you struggle to share your faith in Jesus when you're one-on-one with someone. I could ask you to put your hands up, and I know it's the vast majority of you struggle to share your faith one-on-one when you're in a conversation with someone. But what I do know is that you all invite. You invite people to your wedding you invite people to your Christmas party. You invite family to your home. You invite people out for coffee. Inviting is actually already part of your culture. And what I'm asking you to do is to, is to make it a bit wider and think invite to what we do as LifeGate Church. Because when they, it, if you invite them and when they come, they will hear the message of Jesus. Second reason to invite. People belong before they believe. People belong before they believe. When, when uh, people get together, a group, sporting group, political group, any group, they, a, a person usually finds their place, a place where they connect, a place where they belong, a place where I fit here. And then the, the, uh, thoughts starts to, the uh, thought of that group, the ideology of that group starts to influence that new person that belongs. And so what I'm saying is if you bring someone and they get part of a life group, they don't have to believe... what what I believe or what you believe, get them part of our family. Get them coming to church. Get them part of your life group. Get them hanging out with you. And guess what's going to happen? It's going to rub off. As they're in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and Mark talked about it briefly, when we're in worship and the presence of God is here, God changes hearts. He changes minds. God moves in their lives. More is caught than taught. You hang around people, you will catch what they got. It's true in school. You get a kid, you stick them in a bad group. The kid goes bad. You get a kid, you stick him in a good group. The kids go good. If you get a Christian, you stick him with a bunch of Christians. Guess what happens to that person? They usually become a Christian. People belong before they believe. Third thing, people who experience the kingdom culture. You know, Jesus says to his disciples, they will know you by... They will know... The world will know you by your love for one another. And so when people who are unchurched, who don't yet know Jesus, come... And a part of a Christian community, they'll experience God's kingdom. They'll experience his presence. They'll experience the love of his people. They'll experience acceptance and welcoming and belonging. And they'll experience the unconditional love of God because they're hanging out with us. And the fourth thing, it gives you an opportunity to be courageous. And that's our theme this year. It can be courageous to invite someone. To step out and say, hey, I love you to come to this. That can be courageous. And that's a really, really good thing. God wants us to step outside our comfort zones. So what would it mean, friends, for us to have a culture of invite? What would it look like? It would look like us rethinking, getting a a transformed mind to include invite into the way we go about our daily lives it means a change of heart and a change of mindset. Now, now I said that trying to take, change culture is a really big deal. It's really hard. I need to model it. Um, I've told you that I'm going to invite my whole street to Alpha. I had a conversation with a guy named Cain. He does, installs air conditioners in my street. He's got some weird, I think it's Macedonian Orthodox background, but he's not a follower of Jesus. He's, he has some sort of, and I invited him. And he was like, no, I'm not going to that. And then we talked some more. And he's like, oh, actually, that might be right. I think my wife would prefer to come more than me. I said, come together. And I said, we're going to do it in May. I'm modeling a culture of invite. I need to model it. We need to teach on it over the next four weeks, not Easter. Other side of Easter, we're going to teach on it. Sam's going to speak on what are the things that hold us back from inviting next week. But the biggest thing is I reckon we need the Spirit of God to change this, to change this, to give us a love for people. Give us a, a change in mindset where invite becomes part of what we naturally do. We need a move of God, a change, a God to do something in us, unique in us, individually and corporately to make, to make invite part of our culture. So this morning, I'm going to pray that God would do a transformational work in our minds, a supernatural work in our hearts and our lives where invite will become a normal part of our culture. But before I pray, I want to say one last thing. Imagine what, imagine what's going to happen to your small group, your life group, when you have a bunch of unsaved people in there. Man, it gets exciting. They say stuff that you don't believe, and you go, how do I deal with that? And I don't believe that. and what? Do, it gets so exciting. When you get people who are checking it out, and you get a new Christian, I'm, I'm, I'm doing foundations with a, with a new Christian on Wednesday mornings, and I just love it. Talking to him about the basics, the foundations of the Christian faith. It's so exciting, discipling someone, and you will have more opportunities to get alongside someone and help them in their journey. This invite thing will change us. We will think differently. You will see church radically differently. Because as soon as you invite a friend and they're in the front row, you invite them, you're not going to sit in the front row with a friend. Maybe you're going to sit where Teddy is, and let's say Dr. Nate here, and, and, and Dr. Nath, the our new guy in church. Gay's thinking, how's he responding? Is that song appropriate for him? I don't want that person to dance too much in front of him because he won't be able to see the words. Is the music too loud for him? Because I want him to have the best experience of church out of anyone who's ever experienced. When you invite someone, church radically changes for you because you're much more concerned about them than you are about yourself. If we get this invite culture, it's going to change so much. We'll say everything. It won't change everything because we've still got our scriptures and the Bible and the gospel. It will radically change a lot of things. But wow, is it exciting, exciting to go on that journey.